now, uh, Prem. Blog Talk Radio. Let me put this on Facebook. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis from MJ Network MJ, in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce And I am so excited that Justin Newland has agreed to do a second interview I am so honored with the book the mark of the salamander. And we're going to talk about different aspects of it this time. So if you read the, listen to the other show, you're going to really love this one. So good morning and welcome back to MJ Network. And thank God the system's working. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's good this working, Fran, isn't it? At least, at least some things can work. And thank you so much for um, rearranging this interview. And I'm so looking forward, like you, to uh, chatting with you for the next uh, hour or so. Yes, you will. And fortunately, I got to sit, and I actually did hair and makeup just to make sure that I look normal when you have this interview again. I'm very fussy. <laughs> so, tell us about the history of this book and how you came to put it all together. Because, like I said last time, I couldn't put it down. Once I started, I just like, oh my God, this is so, it's different. So, I really enjoyed it. So, how, what's the history behind writing this book? Well, thank you. Thank you for the, the commendation. Um, and we've, you know, we've, we've talked before about one of my other books um, set in in the middle in in, in uh, Eastern Europe, but this one's set in Elizabethan times. Um, and I suppose the history of the book is that after having written uh, four novels, um, it's like writing is a very curious thing. You sort of you can write a novel and you think you're writing about one plot, but then you, when you reread the first draft. You find that there's other plots that you didn't know were there. <laughs> a bit like that with writing novels, you you sort of discover what it is you're actually interested in. Um, and along the way, I suppose what I'm saying is that I, I've realised that I'm interested in in what I would call uh, transitional times or in history, where a particular nation like China or Russia or England. Uh, is different before mm. that period of history from after. Um, and in between, there's what you call a transition from one state to another. Um, and I felt uh, the time that happened in England, in England's history, was the Elizabethan era, which was, roughly speaking, the, the 16th century, the 1500s. So that's what attracted me to write about that particular period, which mm. was um, the Elizabethan era, because before Elizabeth came to the throne, um, really England was you know, kind of a misty isle on the edge of Europe, you know, looking out to the vast seas of the Atlantic, not really knowing what was going on anywhere else other than, you know, in the local shires. But afterwards, you know, come the Stuarts um, in the 17th century and so on, you know, England had sort of set itself on the path of becoming a world power. Mm. Whether that was for good or for bad, but that's kind of what happened. And so I was interested in the transition from really, you know, zero to hero sort of thing. Um, so that gets us into the, the interview. I think. Um, over to you. I enjoyed reading it because I don't think enough people know about the Elizabethan period at all. So this is a, this is a question I thought of just as you were speaking. So the, England back then was trying to become a world power. How does that differ from England now? Is it, did anything carry over? Because it just seems so not as powerful at times. 
Well, I, I, I'm not sure um, that it knew that it was going to become a world power. Um, yeah, too bad. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things um, contributed to it. Um, yeah. And I suppose I think that's, that's what I'd get from your question, which is what 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 changed to allow it to start yeah. on the path of becoming a world power. And there are a number of factors. Because, you know, to some degree, you could not have predicted that it would happen. Because at the time, in the 1560s, 1570s, 1580s, the big, the big European power was the Spanish. I mean, they're a huge empire, um, uh, stretching from South America, North America, as you probably know, uh, particularly on the, on the East Coast and bits of the West Coast. Um, uh, in, the, in the 1570s um, or 1580s, they acquired the Portuguese Empire, all to the east of uh, Africa, into it's like Philippines, mm. um, and they had huge spice. Uh, you know, they, they had the spices coming from from those areas, as well as gold and silver from South America, and so on. a very rich nation. So. Um, you know, come come uh, the reign of Elizabeth, you could not have predicted what was going to happen to England. But certain things happened which I think contributed to it. And one of the, th the important things, I think, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, in your own life, you know this. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have somebody who sits down and says, look, this is mm. maybe what we've got. This is where we can go with what we've got. And that's what John Dee... Um, who was Elizabeth's court astrologer, provided, and he, he wrote a book called The Limits of Empire. Mm. And, and nobody in England was thinking about an empire at the time. And this is about 1570, something like that. Um, so he, he kind of he, he laid the seed. And that's the kind of the, the periods of history I'm interested in, is, is when, when things get seeded. Because, mm. you know, nothing can grow if you ain't got no seed, can it? So it, it also needed fertile ground. Um, I'm not much of a gardener, but the, the, the analogy works quite well. So the fertile ground was provided by Queen Elizabeth and her court. And I think she had a certain presence which allowed the men in the court, um, like Cecil, um, Drake, Walshingham, um, Sir Philip Sidney and some of these other guys to to flower into the best of themselves, um, and part of that was was a group of sailors, Hawkins, Drake, Frobisher, who, amazingly enough, came from uh, villages about two miles from each other. I mean, you could, you could not have written the story really, um, and and they, you know, took up the sort of mantle of this vision on Elizabeth's behalf, provided by John Dee, and set out on a whole quest. Um, and that's uh, the first part of this two-part series. The book is called The Mark of the Salamander that we're talking about. And it traces Francis Drake's sailing around the world. Uh, oh, so I see, I love how, Queen Elizabeth. You're there, yeah, that's you're how things got dead. started in those times, because... Um, you know, it's it's a bit like a person who, you know, all all they've done in their life is sort of ploughed the ground and looked after the sheep and, you know, gone to the market five miles away sort of once a month and got drunk and walked back home um, when, when the sun's setting. And they've done that for 25 years. Uh, and their life's not going anywhere. But suddenly they sail around the world. And no one's been around the world from England before. Nobody. It's completely unknown. It's like we, we, we can't sort of imagine it because we think we know everything. And to some degree, we do. But in those days, they didn't know the extent of the world. They didn't know what was around the corner from that ocean or that ocean mm. or that bit of sea. They really did go into the unknown. Do they have, they didn't, you know what the sad part is, they probably had to draw maps and pictures maybe, but they didn't have a camera, didn't have anything to photo with, didn't have anything to prove where they went. 
And that will so how, how, how do you draw a map of somewhere you've never been? That's exactly the point. How do you, do you, you can't do it, can you? I can't draw a map of anywhere that I've been, including across the street. It would, I could tell you where I've been. But Queen yeah. Elizabeth back then, I felt so bad for her, and she was so good, as opposed to you know the different Queen Elizabeths. And each for each for every time there was a Queen Elizabeth that died, they had another one, Queen Elizabeth. So what was the difference yeah, of her? What was the difference of her that they wanted to fight for her to get to get back what they wanted? Well, that is a very good question. Um, I mean, uh, you can only sort of speculate, really. I mean, first of all, um, to my mind, I mean, you know that uh, her father was King Henry VIII. Yep. Right? Her mother was Anne Boleyn. Now, to my oh, mind, wow. her father was a serial killer. Okay? Because mm-hmm. he murdered... And and, and um, his father was a, a murdered mother. <laughs> but that that's that was the starting point of her life. At kind of 19 years old, she suddenly um, Queen of England. Her father's a serial killer, and her mother's been murdered by her father. Oh well. Wow. What she did. She didn't cry off and say, I can't do this, just got on with doing her, her, her legacy is just huge. And that was her starting point. Quite amazing, when you think of it in those terms. She she was is so amazing. But there were so many different queens in between her. And yet when the, when the Queen Elizabeth died, I felt so bad. Because I thought yeah. there was just something special that she connected with the people. And I think a lot of leaders in other countries don't really care about the people. They don't connect. They only care about their own power and and how it's going to get them where they are. Yeah. And that that bothers me. Here, Here is no better. <laughs> They're no better. So we have the Spanish. I just finished a book about Africa and the Peace yeah. Corps. And I learned a lot about the different customs and stuff, and the fact that they have a school there for people, kids that are black, and the Peace Corps comes in to help them. So I said, gee, you know, people don't know what goes on in other places. So we have the Spanish, but we also have the um, history. What is the history behind the kind of education that children were allowed to have back then that is sort of like now, but not really? Well, uh, ordinary children would not have had an education. There were no schools. That's not fair, yeah. Um, It was only the rich kids uh, that could afford schools. Um, In fact, I discovered in my, you might, this might come up in our last conversation, that the first monarch to impose or implement universal education was King Frederick the Great. Um, in about mm. 1780, something like that. Um, and what he wanted his children, the children of his state, to learn was he wanted them to learn to read, and he wanted to, them to learn to read a, a book, which you can probably guess, the Bible. So that's how... Um, the first sort of school system actually began. So it's quite a couple of hundred years later. I don't think that kids realize the power of the word or reading. No, maybe. And, yeah, I taught for a long time, but my basic thing was I was a reading uh, specialist that taught the children that couldn't read when they came in from foreign countries, from all over the world. And I'll never forget it. And one of these little gang of people came in, a bunch of 10 boys, huge kids came in and said, we're here, and then go, explain why, who are you? It was 6.30 in the morning. We came yeah. because they said you're the only person that could teach us how to read. Now, how do you think oh, you wow. feel? How do you tell them, how do you tell them, I could suspend you from school for pre- for sneaking up without permission at 6.30 in the morning? All right, yeah. And it's, they don't, kids don't realize it now. The power of learning to read is special because... 
then you, no one can con you. No one can say anything. You can read about whatever makes you happy. So at 6.30 in the morning, they said, I dare you to teach us how to read. I said, I just looked at them and go, give me five minutes. If I tell you, Justin, in a half an hour, they were reading 200 words by the friend Louis wow. do it your own way. Yeah, they did. At the end of the year, they said, you taught us how to read. I said, I didn't do anything. You decided that you were going to drive me crazy every day for the next 186 hours from 6.30 in the morning until 8.30. I said, so you did it, and I'm proud of you, and I'm proud that I did it. So they don't realize but I think how you, important you know, you, it is. You, yeah. You, you put your finger on something there, which is that they, they what, what kick-started that process was that they wanted to read, decided yeah. that that's what they wanted to do. And that, that is everything, because in, in, you know, some, some philosophers would say, all you are, is, you know, you're not your physical body, you're just the decisions that you have made and that you stick right. to. That's who you are. So that's who they were. And that, look where that got them. It got them all that riches of, of the possibility of reading the world's literature. And they did because they started out, I had no books when they walked in. I had a chart. I had a magic marker. And I had a couple of the basic primers I have memorized in my head. I could tell you what they say right now. I even know the lessons and the stories in my head. I said, okay, we're going to try this. And they looked at me, and they said, how did you know that I don't ask questions, just learn? And then at the end of the period, I said, who has a cell phone? Everybody has cell phones. I said, I want you to snap a picture of the words and the stories that I put on the chart so that you could go home and practice and print them out because I, I rated the book room after that. I rated all the books my mother used, <laughs> my father used, whatever they had. And then by the yeah, end of well, the year, believe it or not, they were reading, um, blue reading short stories. And read, I don't like using readers necessarily. So they were reading um, short stories. They were reading on Wimps fairy tales. And they were they actually read, um, what did we start? We read To Kill a Mockingbird because they, they actually tried to read that. And they read a whole bunch of classics. And I go like, not bad for someone that's whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so that's my right. Ne- yeah. My next question because, is Because, you know, yeah. Uh, you, you give you a person. Uh, I decided that they they could do it, whereas the other reading specialists in the school, I mean, my principal let me get away with murder. She just let me do it, and I said, "Yeah, you see, you're lucky that you have me because the reading scores went up that year on grade five, and of course, these kids wanted to learn. They didn't have to be there, like I said. But mm. I, I mean, I, I, I it was amazing." So this said, how did you create the scenes on the ship? And how does the ship, the way they run ran then, you know, going around the world in cargo and whatever they were doing, how does it differ from the way they do it now? And the ship on the front is really pretty. Yeah, it is a, it's a fantastic cover, isn't it? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, um, obviously I have to try and imagine. I mean, I, 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 they've got a replica of the boat, uh, the Golden Hind, in London, which uh, on the Thames, so I went there and, and checked it out. Can are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sorry, I thought I thought I lost the uh, the line. No, I'm me. here. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. The boat is tiny. You know, I could not believe how small the boat was. You know, you, you have to duck your head. And I'm, I know I'm six foot tall, but. Um, even the smaller folks had to duck their head to get into the, the cabins, you know, and you go down into the lower deck. And and I don't know how sort of 60 or 80-odd men lived um, and, and survived and cooked. You know, they'd have had, might have had animals on there, which they'd have, they'd have kept, and they're, they're trying to... The, the big thing for them was keeping uh, finding fresh water, uh, to drink, because, of course, you know, you can't drink salt water. Um, and they, they needed fresh water, for, apparently, as well, to clean the guns, because the guns mm. would get um, salted up um, and fail to work. So they needed fresh water for the guns. Apparently, what they do is they take the sails down when it rained, and they collect rainwater in the sails. Wow. They laid the sails out on the decks, you know, which is a pretty good thing to do. 
Um, they had all these superstitions, like it was bad luck to have a woman on board. Um, it was bad luck to kill a bird. Um, and, of course, there's, there's one scene in the story where somebody has got this sort of um, bow and arrow and shoots a bird, and, of course, it creates all this, all, all this uh, drama on the boat, um, which um, readers can, can read about. Um, but um, some of the, 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 the crew and what they did is quite well known and have been studied a lot in, 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 uh, in history and the different parts of how the ship worked and how it was very, very, very much dependent on, on, on wind and, and, and tide uh, for its source of power. There was winds or anything. Um, um, you know, there's just a lot of sweat, a lot of labour um, from the crew to, to, to keep the ship aboard, and um, that's that's what I try and depict in in the story. And following the different watches, um, there'd be um, sort of four-hour watches starting from midnight, and there'd be sort of six watches that would go through till the next midnight, and different shifts that people would have, and how they would ring a certain number of bells to, to, to denote uh, the passing of the watch. Um, you know, eight bells was, was, was midnight, um, but eight bells was also rung when they were burying somebody at sea, because um, obviously if somebody died um, at sea, they, they couldn't wait to get to bury them on land, which of course is what most of the sailors would want. But they had to bury them at sea, and there was, there was all these ceremonies to do with that. So there's a whole life that goes on amongst the sailors. Even um, there's, a, there's a chapter as well, you've got me going now, um, about what was called crossing the line. Because even in those I days, remember that. Um, in fact, from, from, from ancient times, yeah, they knew that there were tropics, the Tropic of Cancer, the Tropic of Capricorn, um, and the equator, and the period, the the um, the part in between the two tropics was called the torrid zone. Um, so the, the zone between Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn is the torrid zone, which you know you can imagine they're calling it torrid because it's 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 it's, it's hot, it's sultry. You know that's where the main the main African countries, South America, you know, all the way around, around the world, is the is the, is the hot, uh, the temperate zone. Um, so, when they they crossed the equator, if a sailor hadn't um, crossed the equator before, they'd have a particular ceremony, where um, the sailor had to be dunked in salt water, almost like a baptism, um, but not a baptism of fire, but a sort of baptism of of salt water, um, and, and they had, that, that was some of the things that interested me in, in, in telling the story. But you, you liked that scene, did you? Yeah, I mean, I was like, it, it was interesting, and yet, I mean, it, I could follow it. A lot of times when people write historical fiction or historical novels, and I know the period and the time period is real, I often wonder sometimes if I'm going to fall asleep. But ah. the interaction of the characters alone, how did you create the dialogue between them? Because some of them didn't come from the same areas. They came from different places. They they did, yeah, that's right. Um, in fact, the, the main character of the story um, was a man from Flanders. Um, and I discovered that the they know some of the names of the crew. Uh, of the ship, the Golden Hind, um, and one of them was um, an immigrant from Flanders. So I wondered how a man from northern France ended up on Francis Drake's boat, and so that's kind of my fictional account of how that happened. But they also knew that um, one of the other, some of the other characters were, one of them was a, a Danish man, a man from Denmark who was a gunner, um, and um, he was expert in, in shooting guns and cannons and so on and so forth. 
so he, he he plays a big part because he actually had the same name. They were both called Neelan or Nelly actually. Um, so one of them was called Little Nelly or Little Neelan, the main character, and the Danish gunner was called Great Neelan. And so they, they they could distinguish between the two, obviously. Um, and so that you know I trace the history of what happened to him, and uh, that's told through through the, the narrative of the story and he, he figures quite prominently because I figured they, they became friends and um, he, he, you know, they, they, they sort of hung out with each other. So yeah, that's some of the crew. Yeah? Are you there? Hello? Hello? Happened now. Hello? 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 Anybody there? I'm here. I'm here. My phone tends to be stupid. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um... How did, I mean, the characters interacted in the dialogue and everything, and I understood it. I mean, some of the terminology was different. But how do you work, how do, like little Neilan, how do you work on a ship when you have no choice and you have to work there? Because he basically yeah. had a problem. And, you know, it's not so different from kids today. I mean, I've taught for a long time, and I had students that were, accused of doing something not in front of my face they wouldn't dare and i said you know i have to think about it i have to look into it well a lot of teachers would just say all right suspend them you can't do that in this particular case he got in trouble and they automatically said you're wrong so how do you deal with that yeah it's it's difficult and and it happened to him a couple of times where um yeah i know there weren't the, the, the witnesses um who were witnesses were swayed by other considerations in telling the truth. Let me put it that way. Um, I don't want to give the cross away, but um, I mean, that's what happens in life, isn't it? You know, people doubt bits of information because it makes them um, maybe look, maybe get seen in a better light and tell the whole truth. Um, But consequences are that might suffer and be proved guilty or have to face the consequences. Well, that that's so, the problem. And the consequences back then, I hate to say it, in some cases are not that much different than now. Of course, you're not well, supposed yeah, I mean, to beat the, beat the garbage out of somebody, but that doesn't mean that, that they're not going to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they, they had... Um, they had punishments, um, quite severe punishments. So they thought, um, you know, I mean, that was perhaps also the beginning of the slight softening in in, in the way that the law worked. Um, um, I mean, for example, in, in Elizabethan times, there were laws against vagrancy. Um, if you were a tramp, you could be arrested and thrown in prison or put in mm. the stocks or um, paraded around... Uh, the town and have people throw rotten apples at you or something. Um, but uh, uh, Elizabeth introduced acts of parliament during her tenure to sort of soften the punishment at the beginning of perhaps um, a little bit of mercy coming into yeah. the hardness, hardness of the law of those. It wasn't just England. Um, uh, all around the world, uh, you know, nations and governments were were very, very cruel. Um, you know, from China to um, South America. Perhaps the, the exceptions were uh, the Aborigine people um, who, who dealt with their lives in a completely different way, as we know. What bothers me is that I, li- I listen to the news. I try not to, and I listen to all different countries and all different laws and all different ways of some democracy, some communism, some socialism, everything. And yet you wonder why can't everybody 
be the same. Well, what is so different? So as I as I read this and the different ships, how did you create the fact that for Francis Drake, I mean he had his own thing, but how how come he if you had to work on one, you were better off with him than somebody else? Just his personality. Yeah, you better do. But then, you know, he 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 was faced with, um, you know, I tried to draw uh, a picture of how it might have been for those sailors to yeah. sail around the world. I mean, even for for, for, for for you and I to sail around the world today would be an extreme physical act, wouldn't it, um, to survive that? I don't know how it's around the corner. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it's the sort of mental, how it affects the mentality and, and, and uh, of these guys who, like I say, most of the time... 99.5% of people at that time would not have gone more than five miles out of their village during yeah. the whole of their lives. You know, so for these guys to get on a boat, okay, they might have had some sailing experience of sailing across the channel or sailing up to Scotland or wherever to, to sail down to Africa, to sail across the Atlantic, to sail down to the Cape Good Hope, sail, sail around the Cape, up, up the coast of South America to California and then across the Philippines and back around the world that way um, w would be, you know, they, they undergo extreme um, insecurities, really, I would imagine. Um, and at one point, um, Drake had to put down a mutiny because some of the guys said, you know, we've had enough, we want to go home. Um, yeah, and, of course, that's what kind of what you'd expect to happen given the extreme um, unusual uh, tasks that, that Drake was asking them to perform in, in, in you know basically to go literally like, like Star Trek where no man has ever gone before well very few men anyway <laughs> so yeah. before I forget Monday what's that at 10 the author of Wet, Warm, and Noisy, Noisy will be there. The, uh, the, John, the Jack Ward series, Jake Ward series. Number uh, the six, I'm honored. New York Times author Andrea King comes back for the third time with Struck Dead, the Forensic Instincts um, series. The 11th, this is a real big one, Leave No Trace yeah. with... Joe Landed. It's John Land and Joel Ayers. I've never interviewed Joel Ayers, but I've interviewed John a lot of times. On the 13th, uh, we have um, uh, Elizabeth Crowens. And on the 14th, we're going to have another one of those crazy panel shows. Marilyn Levinson, Baron Britcher, and Dick Belsky. And they're going to talk about their new releases that are coming out. But more importantly, how they take the characters in their book and don't put friends to sleep. How they make it different. Ah. Writing a book in a series. <laughs> you should have heard us yesterday. Ah. <laughs> it was an experience yesterday <laughs> with me, whatever. So this is a question also. I mean, there were different laws and protocols on ships back then, right? And there were different laws and protocols on ships now. So if one of the characters in the book came alive, like Neil or any of them, and they were able to work on a ship now, do you think they could handle it or be different? Besides the fact that, you know, Neil is small and so am I. Yeah, that's right, he is. But then they, they I don't know, I've seen conflicting reports. that You know, you go to the museums in London, say, and you see the dresses and costumes and... Uh, that the folks wore in those days, and they're considerably smaller than we are. You know, they're like about four foot eight, something like that, five foot at I'm the not most. That much Some bigger. of them. <laughs> no, um, and yet, you know, I'm, I'm six foot. That's quite a big difference. Uh, and you yeah. saw that. I saw that on the boat. But you know, we'd get you going through the doors because you had to tip your head to get through the door. Um, so they were quite, quite a lot smaller. Um, Possibly because our know, health conditions were less. Um, you know, the, the country certainly in um, 
in those days um, had you know suffered the plague, they suffered famine. Uh, they, if, if the crops failed, that was a big deal, you know. And so, so nutrition was 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 poor, you know. Nobody drank water because it was um, uh, it was not safe, not clean. So everybody drank. That was the reason everybody drank beer or ale um, because that that, that was um, at least some to some degree purified water. Um, so you know they didn't live so long. A lot of women died in childbirth, as you probably know. A lot of children died in uh, very young. Their, their ideas of medicine were not as advanced as ours, shall we say? Uh, that, all these things come into yeah. There's there's a, there's a there's a lot of parts. There's an awful lot of parts, and the fact that you put it together in a way that flowed is is hard. That that's did you write an outline before you did this of the time periods or the chapters or whatever that you that you wanted to include in the book? Yeah, I do, I do generally plan it out. I'm afraid I'm a bit of a planner. Um so um <clears throat> I'm actually planning out another novel at the moment. Um trying to work out, you know, chapter by chapter. But often, you know, you, you, you lay out a plan and then you have to sort of change it along the way, which is kind of a bit like what happens in life, uh, friends. Yeah. Think, oh, I can see the end of the road there, but by the time you get halfway down the road, you think, oh, I didn't know this road had all potholes in it and um, it's gone all narrow and I can't get through this way because the gate's shut, so I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And that's what it's like writing a book, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of hard, but um, yeah. somehow you get yeah, through I find it. it a, I find it a, a very very interesting uh, challenge um, that calls on a lot of a lot of different kind of capabilities, um, patience, discipline, imagination, all sorts of different things you need. It's quite a quite That's a probably sort of why I write about dead people being wrongly accused. So they can't pick on me if I make a mistake. Yeah, now, that's right. Yeah. This, the next, the next one I'm writing maybe is what happened yeah. to me today. I, I actually figured this out yesterday. Five thousand and eight hundred and forty-one days since October first, two thousand thirteen, when my life changed for the worst. Uh huh. And oh. yeah, I had I found out something from a provider. The two providers missed something in my jaw, and I've been paying for their mistake for 10 years. So I'm hoping ah. that, yeah, that's why sometimes my voice sounds weird, because I can't feel the left side of my face. It just doesn't exist. You couldn't tell that last week, but I faked it really well. But, yeah. Yeah, you did. My, my jaw is partially numb, and the only thing I could eat is liquid. And did you ever eat liquid oh, spaghetti? Wow. It's horrible. Liquid chicken. Well, chicken I never have. And, uh, you don't, only you don't only want if to. I was cooking it, because I'm not a very good cook, and it probably ended up in a mulch. Yeah, well, that's what that. That's what it tastes like. So my, you know, I, I I just live with it. That's why I weigh 102 pounds. It's easy. So I just I'm going to write it. I don't know who's beeping in. I don't really care. Uh, whoever it is. So, the laws back then are different than the laws now. And it's it's, it's so, so amazing that, but some of them have to intersect. So, that anything about England back then or the laws back then would be the same now? I mean, we have a different king, I think. Sure, sure, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, that's that's a huge question, really. Um, uh, some of them will still be the same because, oh, you know, once a law goes on the statute book, um, unless it's repealed, it stays there. Um, whether it actually gets used is another matter. But, um, you know, um, there are lots of laws passed to, to, to sort of, uh, like we see today in, in countries, laws are passed to deal with the situation that the government's having to deal with. So yeah. in those days, 
they would have had to deal with, um, you know, uh, the threat of invasion from the Spanish. Um, you know, and what was important for the country was to maintain a kind of religious equilibrium. So there were laws about going to church. Um, you had to go to church a certain number of times uh, a week. There were laws um, to support local industries. Um, apparently in Elizabethan times, you had to eat fish Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Wow. in order to support local fishing industries. Okay? So you had laws like that, which were obviously, you know, for, for different purposes. But they're trying to run the country, you know, and there, there was a parliament, but most of the time, um, you know, things were decided by the Privy Council, the sort of, we would probably call the, the, the cabinet uh, of ministers. But in those days, they called it a Privy Council, whether had the Chancellor, and they didn't really have a Prime Minister, but um, you had somebody who acted like a Prime Minister, um, you know, and, and pe people got on with um, um, the world as they saw it at the time. Of course, it was quite religious at the time, wasn't it? Um, I suppose to some degree it still is. What, what do you think? I, I I agree. It's just so, you know, I listened to the news yesterday for some reason, and I was listening to all of the the things that were passed, all of the laws or the, the changes and stuff, and I'm sitting, why do we need that? Why is that important? Who cares? I can understand with environment, now they're trying to ban lithium batteries because, you know, they tend to explode around here. But what bothers me the most is that the person in charge of the state doesn't see the imperiled difficulties of the schools. The schools mm -hmm. are now dangerous. Uh, high schools, there are kids that are getting hurt, people getting shot in schools, people walking in, and she's worried about mental health. They're doing nothing about school safety or a lot of the other things. You know, they want to have um, housing for the people that can't afford it, affordable housing. That's fine to a point. They want to give, you know, they have these job fairs and stuff. They're not for the people that live here. They're for the people that are coming in from the country. So one particular area, a city, said that before they can come in, they finally realize they need to have their background checked and the vaccinations and stuff. It just worries me that they're not doing what they did back then or anything. You have to consider the people and your population, and they don't. That That's what bothers me. Because mm. everybody counts. Every I I don't care who you are. Is you know whoever you are is fine. And I grew up like I said in a tough neighborhood in the Bronx, and I'm little. And back then I wasn't a hundred pounds. I was much heavier. And I walked in the street and mm. I wasn't afraid. I didn't know we're supposed to be. I was supposed to be afraid. But it but you have to walk with power. That's the thing. So how did how did yeah. people back then that you know how do you walk with power? If you have to go to church seven times a week or do this, what happens if they didn't follow the laws? Maybe they need to make some of those here. Yeah, well, that, that's when they, they... I mean, you know, in those days, and, and there's a, a residue of that, there's a sort of vestige. One of the big white methods um, in those who made the to humiliate um, the, um, the offender... Mm -hmm. Why they were put in this? That's why you know some of the the punishments are extreme in terms of you know undrawn and quartered. Um, it was to humiliate the person um, uh, and to, to to sort of shrink back any semblance pride or uh, overweening um, you know arrogance in a person and make them feel small. That's what humiliation does, isn't it? Um, but that's how they dealt with criminals in those days. Um, obviously, things have changed to some degree uh, today. Um, but in, in the story, you know, the, the book is called The Mark of the Salamander. Perhaps I can just explain how that title came about, can I? Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah? Um, yeah, tell, yeah so because there's a, there's a definition of The Mark of the Salamander. 
I do know what it means. Yeah. So I think people need to understand. That was the first thing I did when I looked it up when I read the book. I go, wait a minute, there's got to be yeah. a hidden meaning here. And it's sort of like yeah. plays through the entire book. So, yeah, before we go, yeah, tell everybody yeah. about the the title and why it sort of plays through the entire book and why it's important. See, I got that. Yeah, so so Neelan, who is the kind of the main character, as I said, the guy from Flanders, he he discovers early on in his life that he he's got these sort of three wavy lines on his palm, a bit like a, the lines on a palm, beneath his middle finger on his right hand. Um, and right from a young child, he he's he's always had a sort of fascination with fire. And like a lot of children, don't they? He's not an arsonist. He doesn't go around burning people up. But he likes to look at flames. He likes to see the yellow, gold, red flames, blue flames, and how they change and always moving, always mobile. Um, and through the years, you know, he, 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 he becomes, um, uh, works as a smith in a forge. So he's near fire. He's seeing how fire melts things and how you can mould things that are melted. And he becomes fascinated by the whole process of fire and everywhere it appears, um, uh, in the hearth and in warmth and so on. Um, and finally, he begins to understand that these three wavy lines are actually a kind of a connection mm. to uh, a whole different realm uh, to do with almost like a, a dreamy realm or an astral realm where he can see things and see other people and travel all around the world at any time he feels like going there. Um, and it, it gives him a kind of a magical ability to um, know things, see things, um, the events that he couldn't be able to do physically. Uh, it's a bit like some, some part of him detaches from himself while he's asleep and goes somewhere and tells him what's going on. So it's a very strange uh, ability. And just as, um, you know, a gnome, a little, little, little thing that runs around the earth is the spirit of earth. You have the mm -hmm. spirit of, of air. You have the spirit of water, an, an undine and a sylph. Well, the spirit of fire is a salamander. So... The mark of the salamander is those three little wavy lines underneath his, his finger. And when he touches them, he sometimes sees things that other people can't see um, about the sort of realm of, um, of, of almost like a living fire, if you like, um, where there's mystery and there's magic and he can be transported to places that normally he couldn't go so that's sort of something that I just introduce into the story to give it a different dimension um, it, that's a bit did. more about the salamander it, it did because I would love to have that mark so I could go some places too and <laughs> well, I have yes, to get on an airplane <laughs> so how yeah. is that going to play we have a few more minutes how is that going to play into the next book because the last sentence tells me that he's ready for more. And I was sort of like, yeah. I'm not going to say why. I felt bad for him, and yet he rises, rises above his disappointment. And so how's that going to play into the next one? Well, yes, yeah, very good question. Um, that, that's, um, he, what happens is, very briefly, he, he goes off to uh, deliver a message from Francis Drake, um, because even at the time, this a lot of the story follows the history of the time, um, and you know he, he, they've come back to England from going around the world. They've docked in in, in Plymouth, um, and they've taken the, off the treasure uh, that they, they they'd won or stolen, depending which way you look at it. Um, and that these, these are all following the instructions of the Privy Council. So one thing Francis Drake wants. To send a message to the Privy Council and Neelan is asked to deliver that message um, yeah. as the last hours on the boat so he sets off to London um, to, to, to meet Francis Walshingham who is the Queen's spy master and uh, the, the, the second book unfolds from there where he, 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 he meets um, 
Francis Walshingham. I can't wait to go to. Who's publishes the, who uh, publishes your book? Um, the place called the Book Guild um, published the, the, the uh, this book. Yeah. Well, that's, that's um, the hardest well, part in the world. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo, and all the other good online outlets um, for, for for folks in the states who can get them. I have a publisher from England that loves me. Do you? I don't know why. Yeah, okay, I do. Who's that? Coll- Collective Links. I could even send you his his uh, connection. His name is Ben Brudel. He was working for huh? John um, Hunt. Uh, public right. books. He switched to collective. He just sent me uh, the narrow window. They don't ask. They just send it. They must think I know what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> they are yeah. probably, they're really interesting. They only send quality. They don't send me anything that they know I won't read. And then only once or twice I'll just say, that's not my kind of book. I don't like the sci-fi. And they'll understand it. But the narrow window was excellent about Africa. The Peace Corps and how people came together to protect these two people and the woman that got got attacked by one of the one of the people that lived there. So yeah, they're really good. Collective links and his name is Ben Brudel. My other guy, I don't know what happened to Gavis, but they're really great and they send me things all the time. But thank you so much. And I can't wait to get the next one. That would be great. Do you ever do panels with other authors to talk about historical fiction or how you write? Sorry, ask the question again, Fran. I missed the beginning. Do you ever do panel shows, panels and discussions with other authors to talk about um, um, yeah, your I writing? Yeah, I do. If you, if you want to invite me on one, I'll be happy to come along. Yeah, but for sure. I will, because I'm going to schedule another one in, in June. But thank you so oh, much. Yeah, Everybody have... And I'm going to read the next one. I can't wait to get it. Everybody, have a great yeah. day. It's freezing out here. It's 20 degrees going down to whoa, 19. Whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't, know if we and got I don't wear jackets. And, um, I'm going to wear my vest, and that's it. But thank you so much. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and bye. Okay. Thanks.